0: And a very
5: good Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got John Paul and Sadie taking your calls eighteen fifty three 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 one oh three and text and WhatsApp's already coming into us at O eight six two one oh three one oh three. We are on the programme this morning going to take a look at the road map. That was outlined yesterday by the Taoiseach Mihol Martin and the Education Minister uh, Norma Foley to get all of our children back to school and back to school at the end of August um, this confident is the word that the Education Minister Norma Foley used particularly when it comes to about a thousand extra teachers are going to need to be hired and there's going to be a frantic scramble on now for all of the schools to try to find those extra teachers but the one I think that worries me the most is the major building works are going to need to be completed in the four weeks that we have little over four weeks until the new term starts so it'll be interesting to see how Prince are feeling about that this morning as they try to get their schools ready and prepared to make sure that it is safe when children return to the school buildings at the end of the month. And the the figure that was announced, we'd been talking yesterday, we knew that the government was signing off on this roadmap yesterday and we were expecting That they were going to spend 300 million euro extra to get the children back to school. But the figure was even higher. It was actually closer to 400 million. 375 million, that's how much has been set aside for the reopening of the schools. And it's broken down into a variety of different ways, including, you know, the hiring of the extra uh, teachers. There's also an allocation for SNA uh, staff. There's 75 million in there. I have a capital allocation to prepare the buildings and the class rooms there's um, 40 million To pay for additional supervision of second level students to minimise interaction of students from different classes. That seems like a lot of money. But I suppose when you're trying to control groups of uh, teenagers, maybe you need that much uh, additional staff. And obviously then there's a huge amount in there for cleaning and for hygiene uh, measures and things like uh, face masks. They're going to be, they're not essential for staff or or for students. Because I know that was one of the ones that certainly came up yesterday on the programme, would students and teachers at secondary level, be expected to wear masks. So that's not, um, certainly that's not going to be, that's not mandatory in the roadmap. Um, Now, as I say, we will look at it in more detail on the programme this morning, but already some of your comments coming in. Eileen says, this is a good one from Eileen, says, Patricia, on the opening of schools, uh, we, this is the school obviously where Eileen's uh, children attend. We have a split second class, i.e. we have a first and half of second in one room. And then we've got half of second in with the third class. Now, the problem there is third class students and up have to will be doing the social distancing of one metre. But the second class and below they are going to be taught in a bubble. In the particular situation the school that Eileen is talking about, the second class students actually move from room to room so they get all the second class together, for example when they're having their practice for First Holy Communion. I think a new teacher should be supplied for this year to eliminate split classes, especially as half of second class won't be able to interact or play with the peers throughout the year. Thank you Eileen. I can straight away foresee problems there, unless they're going to get to the stage where they won't allow any splitting of classes under second but an easy and a possible solution, certainly in Eileen's case, uh, would be for that school just to have an extra teacher that would just be for second uh, class until we get out of the pandemic. But uh, but you are going to have individual schools are going to come up with anomalies like that. That problem won't be for all schools, but it will be for schools that split classes and split classes where some are don't need to be socially distancing and uh, others do and then obviously there's a whole host of uh, different problems for the larger schools they will have much bigger problems than say the smaller schools uh, will have so it will be certainly the boards of management and the principals facing a lot of headaches uh, today and Maria says and the schools will be just opened and mark my words says Maria there'll be another lockdown and then they'll blame the kids again. Maria feels they're using the kids as guinea pigs to see what way the virus will go. She's worried about school bags. School bags are thrown on the ground they're picked up, they're put on tables they're carried around. Uh, Maria wonders could school bags be a carrier of uh, virus. I I, I would be very slow to agree with you Maria and say that the children have been used as guinea pigs because if you look to other countries, we're probably one of the last countries to reopen schools. A lot of the other countries sent their children back to school pretty early on in the pandemic and it doesn't look like there has been any clusters in schools in any other country and there's nothing to say that we're not going to be the same uh, here. Uh, Ned is saying that not a single child in Ireland has died from COVID-19. Thanks be to God, Ned. And the w- he says the World Health Organisation has said that it is highly unlikely that people who are asymptomatic can spread this and he says think about that uh, for a moment. I wasn't aware of the, of the WHO saying that let me look into that. Uh, in more detail uh, but I'm assuming Ned that you're all in favour of getting the children back to school but are you saying that there's too much rules and regulations being uh, put in Dennis or Sarah says and when one child coughs on another there's going to be bullying and hatred some teachers were bad enough before. Can you imagine in a few weeks time? Oh, my God. And when a younger child mentions the virus, more than likely the parents will be called in. Um, I, I do foresee there being issues with children coming to school with coughs and colds and sniffles. That certainly is going to be a huge problem going forward because I take it we're all going to be, as we as adults are doing, everyone is erring on the side of Could that be COVID-19? What are we going to do? And I take it again, there's going to be guidelines and each school, I'm assuming, is going to treat all uh, of situations like that a little bit different. But yes, Sarah, I do agree with you. I do think what's going to happen is that parents are going to be told if your son or daughter has any kind of a cold, then please keep your child at home and that in itself is going to cause problems particularly for working parents 1850 333103 your thoughts and comments if you've taken a look at the roadmap for reopening schools are you as confident as the Minister for Education Norma Foley yesterday said that she was confident that all of the schools will fully reopen at the end of August start of September and that we will have all of the students and all of the teachers on campus that were not going for this blended learning that I think a lot of parents were worried about that children would spend maybe two days in the classroom and then three days at home or three days in the classroom or half days in the classroom and half days uh, at home I don't think any parents or teachers in fairness to them either I don't think teachers were in favour of uh, of that either now an issue that we got a huge amount of reaction to yesterday on the programme and I was looking at checking up on our social media because I know John Paul put a post up on social media about it yesterday and this is the practice of stopping payments of the COVID-19 pandemic unemployment payment what's known as the PUP Um, the people who had decided to travel abroad for non-essential reasons Uh, We discovered at the weekend that they had their unemployment payment stopped and then when they would come back from a holiday destination, they would have to self-isolate for two weeks and for the two weeks they wouldn't receive their unemployment payment, the COVID unemployment payment uh, either. And as I say, we had a huge reaction to it yesterday when, uh, wasn't it, was it Lorraine or Laura, can't remember the lady's name, one of our listeners uh, contacted us because her son is going to Spain. Uh, Next month along with three of his friends a a holiday that was paid for back in January lost his job on the COVID payment and she thought it was very unfair that he was going to lose the payment she said whatever about him losing the payment for the week he's in Spain but the two weeks he'd have to self-isolate he also won't get paid and she thought he was being unfairly uh, treated well that took off uh, yesterday and uh, the halting of the, the payments um, has prompted claims that they are being unfairly discriminated against as well as raising data protection conter- concerns. The government's policy attracted heavy criticism from opposition politicians and it also raised serious questions from some of the government TDs on the backbenches. The government last night denied claims that welfare recipients were being discriminated against. Now it was the Paul... Murphy, the Rise TD, he was accusing the government, he said it was scandalous discrimination against people who were receiving COVID-19 payments. And then the Fianna Fáil former social welfare spokesperson Willie O'Dea came out. He also claimed that welfare recipients had been singled out for punishment. And he said, why should one particular category be penalised for it when everybody else are able to go out of the country and do what they like as Scott Now, uh, Heather Humphreys said that the public health advice was very clear. She said the public health advice is that people should not travel abroad unless it's for um, essential reasons. And this suggestion that the pandemic payment recipients were being penalised. She said, look, there's 340,000 public servants who have been told They will not be paid if they go away on holidays and they have to come back and do a two week uh, quarantine. They're not going to be paid. That's all of the public servants. And she also went on to talk about the private sector companies. They've all told their staff the same thing. So she said, we're not trying to pick on anyone. And we only last week here in the programme spoke about that, how many private companies had held meetings and told their employees, we do not want you travelling overseas and if you do go overseas that's fine we can't stop you but when you come back you'll need to self isolate for two weeks you're not going to get paid you're going to have to take that as unpaid leave so you know Heather Humphrey's saying we're doing the very same thing it just happens to be somebody who's getting a COVID-19 payment and she says we are doing what is right by the country To protect uh, our people her department then responded to questions raised about the data protection insisting that since 2012 social welfare inspectors have the legal power to carry out checks at all ports and airports because Dublin Airport were very quick off the mark yesterday to deny involvement in the practice Um, they had faced a number of queries on social media because I think people thought it was the airport authorities who were passing on the information of who was travelling in and out of the country in Dublin Airport's said, whoa, 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 nothing at all to do with us. It is social welfare inspectors. And I heard of one guy, a musician who was travelling, I think out of Dublin airport and he was stopped by a social welfare inspector he didn't realise why and he was asked for his name and his address and his, uh, uh, his PPS number and then of course when he came back he discovered that he had lost his COVID-19 payment and would lose it he fought it though I think afterwards and uh, I think he had a genuine reason for, li- for leaving the country but he said he wasn't at the time asked he didn't realise this was in the, sort of the early days he didn't realise why he was asked for his PPS number but there were and I also saw on social media there was photographs of Workers from the Department of Social Protection, inspectors from the Department of Social Protection, I saw one, at least one photograph up on, um, I think it was on Twitter, somebody, a photograph taken of somebody up at the sort of the the departure gates at Dublin Airport chatting and interacting with people. But I think now everyone is going to be aware if you are approached by a department, a social welfare inspector, people are going to know why they are being approached and why they are being asked for PPS numbers so that they can check uh, if you're going out of the country. But, you know, I think now, even though if you'd gone down through the small print of the pandemic payment you would have seen that you were told you weren't meant to leave the country but of course the argument yesterday was how many people read all of that small print but I think now the fact that it has got so much publicity it will be an individual choice if somebody is claiming the 350 COVID-19 payment and decides to leave the country, they know they are that they will lo- lose the payment and will have to come back and not get paid for uh, two weeks. So, you know, it's been well flagged and it has been well uh, advertised. And as I say, we got a lot of reaction yesterday with very, very few people having any sympathy at all for the people who decide while they're on the COVID-19 payment to go abroad and take a holiday, I think you know the bulk of people were saying that many, many of us have made the decision for the sake of everybody else, for our own health and the health of everybody else, both those people we work with and people we live with, and for the wider public. We've all made the decision that this is this is for the good of the country. That's the public health advice has been given not to travel abroad except for exceptional reasons. So all of us are giving up holidays. So I think on that view, there was very little sympathy yesterday coming through for people who decide to go and then will lose their uh, pandemic uh, payment. And then on that, then led to the whole thing of, again, the airports, should the airports be open? Should the airports be closed? How many people are actually leaving? How many people are going? Um, and I see that the Dublin Airport Authority, there's an Aroctus Special Committee, you know, the Special Committee on COVID-19, uh, where they meet a couple of times uh, a week. The Dublin Airport authorities are going to attend that covid Special Committee on COVID-19 uh, today and they are going to ask and suggest that people from the non-green list countries should prove that they've tested negative for coronavirus and it's one of the things that's going to get uh, brought up today. The DAA of course is responsible for the Cork and Dublin airports. They suggest in an opening statement that passengers arriving here from the non-green list countries should be required to take a COVID-19 test within 72 hours of travelling and then submit that as proof of a negative result before departing. The company said that it's working with the government to create a more robust process for tracking inbound visitors to the country so that it can put a call centre in place uh, by August because of course they're taking over that, the Dublin Airport Authority are taking over that, the tracking of people coming into this country and checking up that they're isolating where they say they're isolating but they're going to suggest that people get a a test up to 72 hours before they travel but of course the problem with the test is the test is just a snapshot of a moment in time, in that I could come in contact with somebody with COVID nineteen and get tested today, and then for four, and then it could show negative, and then in in the next fourteen days I'll suddenly start showing uh, symptoms. That's the incubation period, unfortunately, of COVID nineteen. So I don't know whether that's going to be a flyer for the DAA or not. And also, Ryanair are expected to be at that meeting uh, today. Ryanair are warning that there is no legal basis for the government's travel restriction, including the green list and the 14-day uh, quarantine uh, and the green list to which it is safe to travel excludes of course our trading partners and our main tourist markets i.e. the United Kingdom and the United States and uh, the po- also the popular destinations for Irish people uh, for Spain our Ryanair they are planning to challenge the restrictions in court and they're arguing in a statement to the Doll Committee on COVID-19 that it hasn't been provided for in legislation so that's where Ryanair are going to go they're are going to head through the uh, courts. 1850 Sadie and John Paul are taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 one o three, one o three. Do you make of this? Poor old Matt is a very annoyed about this. He booked in for lunch at a bar near his work p- place, but no sooner had he made the booking on behalf of himself and a few of his colleagues when an important work meeting came up and they realised, oh, we're not going to make it for lunch. So he rang back the restaurant and said, "Sorry about that. I made a booking two minutes ago, but I'm now realize i I'm not going to, going to be able to go." He got charged a twenty euro cancellation fine. He said, I fully understand no shows at restaurants. He fully understands why restaurants are charging these cancellation fees but the fact that within two minutes he rang and tried to unbook the table, he thought it was a bit mean-spirited on behalf of the uh, restaurant. I'm actually glad the restaurants are putting in cancellation fees because I think it's particularly in what's happening at the moment when all of the tables have to be booked, it's very, very unfair for people to do no-shows. And I saw, uh, even when the restaurants started to reopen, I saw on Twitter a number of, particularly in the Dublin restaurants, they seem to be having a big problem with it. I don't know how many no-shows that we have in Cork restaurants. And I don't know of many Cork restaurants that are putting in this cancellation fee. But I can understand it from the restaurant's point of view. But I think, Matt, in your particular instance, that does seem a little bit mean-spirited, that just within two minutes you rang and cancelled. You know it wasn't that you left it to just a minute before you were due to sit down at the table and they wouldn't have been able to get the table you know hire the table out to somebody else but surely they would have been able to get somebody else onto that table. It does seem uh, a little bit mean spirited and I suppose from from your point of view it's left a very bitter taste in your mouth that they, you may never go back to that restaurant again so the restaurant could ultimately be the big loser there. 1850 333 103. If you're with Matt was it wrong of the restaurant to do what they did. Are are, is, are are they absolutely right? Matt made a booking and then two minutes later uh, cancelled it. They have to make their money somehow. 1850 333 103. Sadie and John Paul taking your calls, text or WhatsApp. 103, 103. for
0: today on C one zero three. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. Oh eight six two one zero three one zero
5: three. Now I mentioned one of our listeners when we were talking about uh, schools was saying you know uh, the schools the children should be all back at the schools in that we've had not one single death, thankfully, from a child in this country. And this was Ned, who also quotes the World Health Organisation, and said it's highly unlikely people who are asymptomatic can even spread uh, this. And he says, think about that for, for a minute. Scott, got John Paul to take a look and check that out. And it's in a report that's out from the World Health Organisation. And they say, available evidence from contact tracing reported by countries suggests that asymptomatically infected individuals individuals are much less likely to transmit the virus than those who develop symptoms. So that's kind of a bit of a good news because I always felt that that was a big worry that you had people walking around who didn't even realise that they'd COVID-19 because they didn't have any symptoms and were they then going on to infect other people. So that certainly is is a little bit of good news. We'll keep an eye on that report that has come out from the World Health Organisation. On the social welfare recipients where were the social welfare recipients, or where were the social welfare People, this is the inspectors who seemingly are at Dublin. I'm assuming are they also at Cork Airport checking up on um, people who are on covert payments? and If you've got a COVID payment, then you're not going to you're not going to get your payment. And they're che- they're at the airport. And there was a picture I saw one certainly photograph on Twitter of a social welfare inspector who was at Dublin Airport checking people. Uh, Michael says "Where were all those social welfare inspectors all along when we had foreigners coming into this country just claiming money? Remember, there was a number of." people who were caught they'd fly into the country and they would claim their money and then they'd go back home again and they wouldn't be seen for six or eight weeks and then they would be back in again now a number of them were thankfully tracked down now were they tracked down because social welfare inspectors were at the airports um, I don't know uh, Michael said if I am working this is some people travelling and going out of the country and then not self- isolating when they come home. Um, Michael says if I'm working in Dublin and I'm from Cork I can tell my boss oh I'm going home to the family in Cork for two weeks should I get head straight out to Dublin airport and jump on a plane and no one would know the difference. And listen that's absolutely happening. That's 100% happening. I I don't know in what numbers but of course you're going to have people who are going to try to scam the system and not fess up and tell their employer, oh yes, I was in Spain or yes, I was in France or yes, I was wherever and I went away on two a two weeks holiday. But the danger is then if they bring back COVID-19 with, with them, will they go on to infect other people? And the listener on this whole travel says, travel issue, if your family was coming from England for a weekend, what would they have to do? Well, according to the letter of the law at the moment, uh, listener, if your family is coming home from England, they would be expected to self-quarantine for two weeks. Obviously, if it's only a weekend, they'd have to self-isolate for two weeks. Would they be able to self-isolate? Where would they self-isolate? Would you be mixing with them? I mean, obviously, you would. Uh, There's nothing to stop them coming into this country, but certainly it says England, the United Kingdom has not made the green list. They're not on the green list. So, therefore they would have to self-isolate and they would have to fill in the tracker form to say where they are going to be uh, staying. 1850 103 Now, a protest for the safe, full resumption of adult day services will be held tomorrow outside the Convention Centre in Dublin, which is where the Dáil is currently uh, sitting. Adults with disabilities and their families are desperately struggling and while the rest of the country has or is reopening, it feels like this group are the forgotten in society. The protest has been organised by a Facebook group called Enough is Enough, Every Voice Counts and joining me there, spokesperson uh, Linda Comerford. Good morning to you Linda. Good morning, thank you for having me. Uh, well you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now day services closed in March. Have some of the adults with disabilities received a service?
6: Some services remained open um, to a very very limited number of, of adults. So those that may be more complex or profound needs um, at a very reduced rate. So instead of getting their full service, they may have come in for one or two half days. Um, but then the amount of adults that would have happened for would be very, very limited. I suppose in recent weeks, some services have started offering, um, anywhere from three to six hours. And they again would be spread over maybe three hours a morning, for two or three mornings. Um, and o- outside of that then, there has been Zoom calls, um, uh, which aren't, Ideal for, for money and don't work for money, And the other one has been activity packs coming out in the post, which again, not ideal and definitely can't be deemed a service. And then someone coming out to bring the young adult for a walk. Um, and I know that has worked for some very, a very small amount. Um, but also I've had some messages from individuals with disabilities who feel that they're well capable of taking a walk by themselves and they don't need a service to come out and walk them. They're not... I know, I know. Uh,
5: they're and not these an are, to And these and are... You, and you're talking about people who would have had a full service Monday to Friday, 9 to 4.
6: Yeah, all these people would have had a full service. And I suppose the HCC would define an adult service as 30 hours per week. Um, so all of these people would have had their 30 hours per week in a service um, getting... Some of them would have been doing maybe some... Learning programmes, some of them would be due, maybe doing some outreach in terms of maybe work placement or courses outside the centre, but supported by the centre. Um, so a range of different things would have happened depending on the person and their need and their ability. Um, but all of these people would have been getting their full 30 hours a week and now, obviously then in, in March, they didn't. And like everyone else in the country, we put our shoulders to the wheel for the for the health of the nation. Um and as the government kept saying, we were in this together. So we very much were in it together and did what we had to do to, to to suppress the pandemic. But it just seems that like now that the country is reopening and we can go to restaurants and we can go to the gym and we can do all these different things and different businesses are back open. we just, not only are we um, invisible, we seem to have been completely and utterly forgotten about. We don't, we're not mentioned in anything, anywhere um, so we see all these other businesses and companies and schools getting all these stimulus stimulus packages, which is great and it's great to see them reopening. But we're kind of sitting here going, well, what about us? When do we come out? And, up a, and a
5: number of weeks ago, Linda, this framework document uh, was published for the for the reopening and the resumption of Adult Daycare Services. And it was, you know, a hefty tome over over 70 uh, pages. Did you get any sense of hope from that framework document?
6: Absolutely none whatsoever. I found it vague. I found it non committal in terms of um timelines. There was it offered no reassurance. Um some of what it said is being contradicted by services on the ground. Um and it offered no plan for for the future to fully reopen services. It very much said it was going to be a reduced service, um, with a lot of the work being put back on families and carers. But no mention of when they had would hope to have a full service back. Um and and that's just not good enough. I mean we can't we can't live with a far inferior service. I mean a, a very little service is just as damaging to someone's health, mental health and well being as no service because they they feel they're no sooner in. They're not in their it's it's not a normal environment for at the minute. They're not with their usual friends, they're not maybe doing the things they would normally do. There's a lot of things they need to adjust to. It's all very different. They're not sitting in and they're going home again. And they're like, well, why am I going home? This is only lunchtime. And I don't go home till, till four o'clock. Um, so they don't understand it. And it's actually quite damaging. Yeah, very, and
5: for many right. uh, many adults with disability, the routine and the familiarity oh. is just is so important. Linda, why, what are you hearing from your members? Are many adults with disabilities regressing because of lack of services?
6: They are. So we're hearing an awful lot about how... Um, Some of the adults would be quite depressed, have kind of went into themselves, no longer take enjoyment in things they would have taken enjoyment in before, whether it was a hobby, whether it was, I don't know, a young lady trying out makeup or painting her nails, no longer wants to do those things, wants to kind of, has stopped really talking, has stopped, um, a lot of maybe would have increased challenging behaviour. They would be very frustrated, and I suppose that's how they vent. Um. And in terms of some then, and even my own son, I would see a physical deterioration in him where they've gotten quite weaker, um, an extra number of falls, hand tremors, um, drooling, all those things that we kind of had under control are all all back with a vengeance. And I suppose as a parent and care, it's absolutely gut-wrenching to see your child deteriorate in front of you. It's hard to watch. Despite your best interest or your best efforts there really isn't a whole lot you can do because there is no services to access, whether it be your day service, whether it be um, therapies. There is nothing at the minute. You're very much on your own. And I would even feel as a parent, despite my best efforts, it's not enough. What I'm doing is not enough. And that's very hard for parents. Very, very hard.
5: And the families who are the full-time carers, uh, Linda, there's a lot of burnout out there.
6: Oh, there is. It's huge. It's huge, and some families would have more than one with a disability, whether it be two adults or an adult and a child. Um, they may be caring for a, a parent, um, or a sibling as well. So, it is. I mean, we all seen before the pandemic. You would have seen programs on prime time of carers in crisis. Um, there was often things raised, in the all about carers um, suffering burnout and really feeling like they were you know, they were That has been massively compounded. Because not only did we have added care during the pandemic of our um, children being at home all the time, but we also have these extra needs due to the regression or due to challenging behaviour. Um, and it, it is that like parents, they're on their knees. An allegedly parent rang me the other night, and she's in her 70s. And she was crying on the phone and said, I have fought the fight that you're fighting. And she was like, I hope you crack it because we, we couldn't. And it's... Johnson, as a younger parent to know that these parents have, have fought for their loved ones for 70 odd years and we're still having that fight. There's something very wrong about that because we shouldn't have to fight. Absolutely. Um, So, uh, I mean, we've been
5: and we've been mentioning on the programme this morning um, about the extra funding that's been available for schools. And we all know the schools need to reopen and it's it's terrific. And they seem to have this big pot of money. It should have been 300 million. It's nearly 400 million uh, is going to be given to uh, schools. Extra funding, Linda, is that what is needed for to get day services, adult day services back up and running?
6: Um, it's part of it. It definitely is. We definitely need funding. I mean, for far too long, services have been underfunded. Um, and we've, we would have seen that again before the pandemic where different centres have come out into the media and said, listen, if we don't, we can't stay open. We don't have the fund and We're going to have to close our doors. And at the final hour, the government would step in and, and they would do something. But it shouldn't ever have to get to that where families are worried um, and the, the young adults are worried about not having a service. So we've been chronically underfunded for years, and that's been very compounded now by the pandemic. Um, I suppose the social distancing rules again, in a centre where you might have had 75 adults due to the two metre social distance, and you can only have approximately 20, so that's dramatically reduced. Whereas in schools, we're seeing that some of the children don't have to social distance, and some of them um, only by one metre. So it just seems the rules are very different for us. We we don't get any funding. In fact we're looking at a twenty million cut. Um so it we do need funding. We need extra staff. If ratios are going to be reduced, so you might have had five young adults to one home, to one support worker in the past and that would have worked really well. But you may have one adult in that group now who wants to high five everyone, who wants to hug everyone to see and just doesn't understand social distance and, and and can't adhere to that rule, so he now has to be, or she, would have to become a one, one-to-one um, just to, to keep them safe. But that means you need extra staff. Some of the staff still have not come back into centres after being redeployed to residential. Um, so the staff, we need staff, we need extra space, and we need funding. And we need them now. Have, have
5: you met and spoken with any of the new ministers?
6: I haven't, but I'm meeting on Rabbit after the protest on Wednesday. Okay. Um I suppose it was, it's been really, really hard to try and get anything to meet because you, to, they're not doing meetings in Leinster House anymore due to social distancing. Um, a lot of them have been so busy with the... For a while, we weren't sure who was or who wasn't going to be a minister um and now that we know that the are, it seems to be wrapped up in COVID and getting the country back up and running again. So it has been really hard to pin down anyone to get a meeting. But I am meeting with Anne Rabbit um on Wednesday and before I leave that meeting I will be rescheduling a second follow up meeting. Um and I'd be hoping in that time frame that the min the Roger Garman will have the legal remit for disability because currently he doesn't. Um So even though he's the Minister for Children and Disability, he doesn't have the legal remit for disability at the moment because it's kind of a new ministry. So the senior minister would still be the Minister for Health. So I'll be hoping that that will all get ironed out and that we can actually then go to the ministers that we need to go to instead of this flip-flopping back and forth and no-one really knowing Who's over Who spoke first of what? Or who's spokesperson for and then
5: there, and therefore nobody making a decision on 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 what is needed. Um, you
6: know what? When to d- be done because we need a we need a vice of cabinet. I mean, if we don't have a yeah. vice of cabinet, we don't have funding. We don't have someone to push for it. We don't have someone to push for the right to get the optional protocol um, ratified. We don't have anything if we don't have someone in cabinet. So it's vitally important that he would have the legal remit and have it asap if they can change legislation to give junior, super junior ministers an increase, they can change legislation to give him the remit for disability. Well said.
5: Well said. When, what's your gut instinct telling you? When do you, when do you think uh, adult day services will be back up and running?
6: I think some may open um, with a very, very dramatically reduced service anytime time between August and December. Some will open in August, September. Some may not open until December, January. Um, But I don't foresee a full service anywhere in the future and then soon. And that's the fear parents have, is that... Until there's a vaccine? Could Um, it be as far as that? Oh, definitely will be as far as that. Definitely, and even beyond.
5: That's that's Um, not what parents want to hear.
6: It's not what parents want to hear. It's it's not what I want to say um, at all. I mean, I'd love to be coming on your show and saying, we have fantastic news. They're going to fully reopen in the safest manner, possibly. Um i mean I, I i'd I'd love not more to be saying that, and if I'm wrong, I'll be happy to eat my words if if they open sooner, but I just don't see it with the social distancing rules, the lack of funding I mean the framework for reopen also mentioned how vitally important transport was to get a person to and from the service and also to access the community whilst in that service. But a lot of them are coming back now and saying, well, actually, due to social distancing, we were not providing transport, mm. so it's up to you to get your young person here. And that might work for a small few but I know in my situation it would be a 50 minute drive to and from. Um, I have three other children uh, two of which have also disabilities. They're all in four different schools, with the greatest will in the world they can't be in four places at once. Yeah,
5: and certainly here in Cork we have huge catchment areas for, for many of our services. It's going to be almost impossible uh for parents to actually drop and, and collect their children. It just it just won't work. It will mean the difference between them going to a service and not going to not going to a service.
6: It Ta- is and there's elderly parents who yeah, have yeah. underlying issues and maybe who, due to their own health reasons, can't drive and they have to be considered. Um, so it's, listen, I, I I wouldn't like the job of starting out I don't think it's easy to sort this out But I do think there's not enough will to sort it out um, I think they slapped a, a, frame, a roadmap together under pressure Because everyone else had one Without any real thought of how the logistics of it were going to work Or without any thought of how young adults with disabilities are struggling I don't think they've been taught of at all in this
5: yeah, tell me about your protest uh, tomorrow, Linda.
6: Yeah, so a number of our members had kind of requested that they would like to protest or march. And I'll be really honest, at the beginning, I was very much on the fence. Um, it's not ideal timing with a pandemic, but I suppose we're going to do it. We decided to do it and we're going to do it as socially distance as possible, following all health guidelines. Um, so people will wear masks with hand sanitizers. We have a number of parents who are going to speak, and, we, and one or two of the speakers go back to me. Um, so it's a twelve charity outside the Convention Centre, and it's really to send a message to government. Listening to the news and watching what's going on in the doll, it seems like they think we've disappeared. So we're going to make them very aware that we are have not disappeared, um, and that we're not going to allow them to forget our, our adult children in this pandemic. They need their services back, and they need them back ASAP. There is real heartache going on. There is real struggle going on inside the homes of these people um, and it's just not good enough. It cannot be accepted. We've been on the back foot for years and it's about time that rights were put in place so that this doesn't ever happen again.
5: Well done. Well done. Listen, uh, good luck with the protest uh, tomorrow. Linda, people can find out more. You have a really good Facebook page. Enough is Enough. Enough, is Enough. Uh, every voice uh, counts. We'll keep in contact with you, uh, Linda. And I can see a number of people saying well done to that lady. That lady is Linda Comerford uh, who, who set up the Enough is Enough Facebook uh, page. Uh, people are saying well done for speaking up on behalf of carers. We feel so voiceless at, at times, said one listener and somebody said, yes, we are totally the forgotten uh, people. Good luck with the protest. OK, listen, Linda, we leave it there. Thank you for that. We'll speak again. But thank you for joining us. Thank you very, very much. Good, good morning to you. Bye-bye. Uh, Linda Comerford there. Uh, enough is enough. Every voice uh, counts uh, campaigning for the resumption of adult day services. 1850 333 103. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103
0: 103. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Three, three, three. Now
5: yesterday the cabinet signed off on a plan to reopen all schools next month with the government saying the €375 million Euro plan will address the wider needs of the education sector to talk us through the plan. I'm joined by our political editor Sean Defoe. Good morning to you Sean. Morning. And, and you're welcome. Now part of the €375 million is for building works to adapt schools. Will all the work be done in time?
1: Uh, well, that's the question, especially with schools that are going to try uh, and get contractors to do it. Anyone who's tried to get a contractor to do a small job recently uh, will know how difficult that can be. It is for pretty minor work, so what the department is saying is that they're not foreseeing it's going to be some, you know, massive building, knocking walls or whatever, over the next four weeks. But more or smaller things, putting in dividers perhaps in uh, corridors to to allow for one way systems, small changes to, to classrooms to allow them to space a little bit more, and uh, maybe gutting the interior of some of them getting rid of unnecessary stuff to give more floor space and that they hope that because uh, most of the work will be small enough and a lot of schools have connections with the construction workers that they would use relatively regularly, um, that they will be able to get it done in time.
5: The hiring of extra teachers, that's going to be a bit of a headache for, for some schools.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a massive one. We've heard about it, of course, at primary level in particular in terms of substitute teachers because substitute teachers form a very big part of this plan, um, given that you are going to need people to to take classes if a teacher gets sick, that even if it is the case as we come into winter that they have a usual cold or flu, obviously all that's going to be taken more seriously this year. There won't be any of this coming in if you have a sniffle and those teachers can be very hard to find. And the plan also funds more than a thousand teachers at post-primary level where also in certain subjects in particular there have been shortages, others aren't as bad, as the Minister did say yesterday, eh, that she believes that there are enough people in the system, there are 2,000 two uh, teachers on the uh, register who are not currently in a job and that there's going to be a big recruitment drive over the next couple of weeks to find them. But I know a lot of schools this morning sceptical that they are actually trained and out there and will be available
5: only only time will tell, and then for primary school uh, children uh, and this was widely speculated, the younger children will not be expected to socially distance
1: no, so from junior infants to second class, that won 't be required. And part of the thinking on that is that at that age children are so young that it would be too difficult to actually go and enforce it in the first place and it's also drawing on the advice that is there for childcare reopening where that's also not being done instead the the pod system that's used there where they'll be kept in groups of uh, kind of four to six in around although there's not specific numbers on them and quite largely I mean anyone knows the layout of a primary school class but a lot of the time children sit like that anyway you have four or six deaths Pushed together, and that's mm. where they sit. And they have their little group. So, uh, as a practical in-class level, it might not be uh, that different. But there will also be kind of discouraged from mixing with the rest of the school. There's going to be staggered lunch times, for example. So there, there won't be as many students in the yard at playtime or wherever that is uh, uh, mixing with each other. And then once you get after a second class, there is going to be one major social distancing. That's going to require, obviously, a bit of a reconfigure of some classrooms, making sure the desks are all spaced out. In some schools. What I understand is they're not really looking at the, the idea of prefabs, that just getting that done in time isn't going to work for the vast majority of schools. So it might be the idea of fitting out the, the sports hall, the PE hall as an extra classroom, or even taking over some local um, other buildings, be it the, the church hall, be it whatever it is. that The
5: community centre.
1: At. Yeah, those kind of areas will be looked at as overflow classrooms if they are really needed.
5: Now, we would have a a, a number of our listeners living in rural areas and their children jump on the school bus every morning uh, to get to school. The the school buses are to be treated as virtual bubbles?
1: Um, Pretty much, yes. Now, this is where I think that we could well have an issue down the line if there is a a case of COVID. So what's going to happen is there will be very strict assigned seating where possible they will be placed next to someone from the same family or from their own class bubble or pod bubble so that you will try to reduce the amount of interaction that the students have with other uh, classrooms or with other pods as much as possible. But they are going to be on the same bus and there isn't going to be a requirement to wear masks for any children under the age of 13. It will be a requirement uh, for children older than that um, to to wear masks the same as it is on regular public transport. So again, they're trying to reduce the amount of interaction, but there still will be some because the, the capacity is there uh, at the moment. And there is also issues with school transport uh, providers. Even For example, quite a lot of people who will be driving the bus are in the older age category and not, might not want to go back for their own personal risk or might be in a vulnerable category. So I know some companies are having trouble getting drivers in the first place. So there's still issues to be ironed out there, but that's the process they're taking for the moment.
5: Will students, secondary school students have to wear masks in the classroom, a listener wants to know?
1: No, it won't be required uh, from secondary school students they can if they want to. Uh, same with the teachers that they can wear, they'll be encouraged if they feel they need to to wear visors rather than masks from a teacher's point of view because they think masks will interfere with learning. so children will be or, uh, secondary school children in particular will be allowed to, but they won't be asked to.
5: Okay, all right, and I know um all teachers have always said they want a a full return, all children on campus, along with the the teachers, but they only want to do if if it's safe uh, to do so. Early days yet, but what's the reaction been like from the teachers' unions?
1: Yeah, but a pretty cautious welcome, I think, from the teachers' unions. They do have quite a bit of input into this plan, so that's to be expected. I think there is a lot to like here. There is a lot of detail and a lot of guidance, while also accepting that every school is going to have to do things slightly differently. So there's a lot of overarching guidelines that will be interpreted differently by each school. The department says they're going to encourage, uh, or they're going to work with schools in order to do that, that every teacher will have COVID training and there will be someone in each school designated as the COVID manager. But there's still a lot of questions. We've touched on some of them there how are they going to get the extra teachers, uh, what's the story going to be with and hand, uh, PPE and hand sanitizer and all that kind of stuff which is going to be provided centrally. So not everything's been worked out. It's a pretty tight timeline in terms of four weeks for the schools to actually put everything in place but there is a map here that can see them all return uh, next month and do it sustainably. Um, so we're not really going to know until this time next month when schools are going back or not uh, and I think most of them will try their very best to do that. So I think certainly a lot more optimistic than a lot of people would have been yesterday. There is a plan there there now. Now they just have to go and put it in place.
5: Okay. listen, we appreciate you taking time out. Are you heading into the Iraq, the Special Commission on COVID-19?
1: I am indeed. Okay. I'm sitting here after watching the first session this morning uh, on air travel, which is particularly interesting, and Ryanair and others on um, international travel now in the afternoon, so there will be uh, will be quite a few, quite a, a bit to hear out of that, I'm
5: sure. Okay. Alright, enjoy, uh, if that's the right word. Uh, Sean, yeah. in the meantime, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Sean Defoe, our political editor, uh, joining us on the line from Dublin, 1850 uh, 333103. I want to go stay on the phone line. so I'm going to Mary in Charleville. Uh, good Morning to you, Mary. Hello, Patricia. Now, Mary, you're raising um, an, an interesting one. Lots of people are thinking of staycationing this uh, year. We've all been told we can't go overseas. So people are deciding, let's give Ireland a try. People who haven't staycationed before and they're deciding to stay in lovely, gorgeous hotels and, and guest houses all over the country. You were away for a weekend and you discovered a little bit of a problem.
7: Well, yeah, a small little one night. Go on. Um, had a lovely weekend away and a lovely hotel and everything. And thanks to my husband for this lovely treat. Right. But anyway, like we are country people and we would have our dinner in the middle of the day at roughly one to half past one. And then when it came to by night, when we went to the, the hotel for tea, down to the dining room, right, and we couldn't get a small meal, like a... I'd be the type of person I couldn't eat a big meal by night. And there's no such thing as light bites, you know, like sort of toasted sandwiches or Caesar salads or something small. And just because you wouldn't eat there then you could have no drink there either. Like, I mean, what I'm trying to bring out is that... Um,
5: were you, stay- this was the hotel you were staying in? Yes. And you couldn't maybe just get a bowl of soup and a sandwich?
7: No, it was all big dinners, right? Like, maybe all hotels and, like,
5: now yeah but the one you were in and then that meant because we know you have to have a substantial meal for nine euro you couldn't get a drink then?
7: No we couldn't and you see then when you go down the street we went down the town then and um, we could get 20 to eat like, but uh, if you wanted going for a drink later on in the night then because you want the resident you couldn't stay in the bar either like you couldn't get a drink in the bar later later
5: was there a residence lounge in the, in the hotel? In your hotel?
7: Well, I suppose there was, but like... Uh, oh, you wanted to go
5: downtown point. to sample the atmosphere?
7: Well, no, we wanted to stay in the hotel, but they wouldn't give us, you know, a small meal. Cause yeah. I, I it yeah. Meals, and we couldn't have a drink then because uh, we didn't eat there like...
5: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's it it's it, and it is one that's going to catch a number of people because there are people who like to have their main meal in the middle of the day, and there are people if they you know if they can't eat late at night because they can't sleep and 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 whatever. Yeah, yeah, how how do it. you get around that if you're away? Yeah, yeah, we always have
7: that problem. Like because we have our dinner by day, and uh, you'd like something small by night. Yeah,
5: yeah, a to-, a to as you say, a toasted sandwich or a bowl of soup or something. And you see, in the normal yeah. scheme of things, in a restaurant, you could you would be able to get that but it's just with the way the restrictions are in place at the moment you can't yeah,
7: yeah okay. you can't and uh, anyway i think um like when you're a resident in the hotel you should be allowed to have a drink in the bar anyway like with or without a meal like
5: yeah i know you can go to the residence but you can't i know you're talking about the main bar isn't it isn't that what you're well, talking uh, about was so there a well, separate residence lounge
7: do I don't know? We just yeah. went down to the bar. We didn't go to the dining room now, but we went down to the bar, thinking that we'd get something small to eat there, and they wouldn't give it there easily.
5: Like. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's it's one worth pointing out for people who are heading away that they need to bear that in mind. Okay. Listen, Mary. Thing, you. and you did, you get a nice weekend away anyway.
7: We had a lovely weekend. Good.
5: I love that. Good. And was it a surprise from the hobby?
7: Well, we, well, I didn't know it was coming, all right, but uh, he's brilliant
5: that way. Is see, like. Okay, all right, listen, she might get another weekend away. And uh, by, <laughs> and you see, on the 10th, well, we don't know on the 10th of August, but if the pubs reopen on the 10th of August, you hopefully won't have that problem next time around. Yes. All right, Mary, listen, thank you for that and thank you for your call. Thank you very uh, much. Thanks for enjoying, joining us. Uh, 1850 333 103. And actually, somebody was on about... Matt. Do you remember Matt who contacted us and he had the problem whereby he booked a restaurant at lunchtime for himself and his work colleagues. And then after he did the booking, he discovered a work meeting that they had to attend. So he and his colleagues couldn't go for lunch. So within two minutes, he rang the restaurant back to say, sorry, made a booking, not going to be able to go work meeting has come up. Sorry about that. And he said it was within two minutes and he got charged a 20 euro uh, cancellation fee and he he just thought it was very unfair and he wondered as, had it happened to anybody else etc and how did other people feel about it. Uh, and says Patricia I think that was a very bad move by the restaurant especially as Matt cancelled within two minutes and explained why. It wasn't the case of him cancelling it and then going to another restaurant. It was a very, very genuine reason, yeah. And I know some of the restaurants, particularly restaurants in Dublin, have this huge problem where, and I the mind boggles how anyone would do this, where you would have a group of people, maybe six friends going out for dinner and you decide they were going to go out for dinner next Saturday night. Now, this would have been before COVID. And, where where we go for dinner, Asher? Oh, sure. We book four different restaurants. So you'd have a group of six people booking four different restaurants for eight o'clock, and then the group meets up at seven and say, "Well, where we go for dinner? Well, we've the Italian booked. We have." Um, a Chinese book we have an Indian book we have a tapas bar book what does everybody fancy and there and then they decide which of the four and then they leave the other three and don't ring don't cancel just simply no shows and a lot of Dublin restaurants have a huge problem, problem with that and I know for that reason even before Covid ever started they were talking about bringing in that you would you would have to have a credit card booking and if you didn't show you'd have to pay uh, a, a kind of a fine uh, really and I thought that that was very understandable and I saw nothing wrong with restaurants uh, doing that and then when the restaurant Started to reopen with COVID. I started to see some restaurants giving out and complaining, and they have very set times for their diners. And you know, the, the diner had to be gone within the two hours and make space for the next table, the, the next group uh, coming in. And I could already see that they were getting no shows. I didn't think there would be as many though because people were desperate to get out after COVID. But it looks like some restaurants, I don't know how many Cork restaurants are doing it. And I don't know where, by the way, I don't have the information in front of me because it's it's come in via a call to Jean Paul or Sadie. So I don't know where the restaurant was. But anyway, so it's, it's probably going to be a new thing. We're probably going to see more of it. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But it's very possible that we will see more of that. We will see more restaurants decide that if you, don't show or you cancel uh, You're going to get uh, caught Alright and moving to a completely different issue This is Anne in Mallow on Smoky Coal Good morning Anne Good morning Patricia How are you? Not so bad Okay you're on about the ban uh, Mallow's been I included am, in the are, Smoky Coal I have to the coal order like. Okay just to let people know Mallow has been included in the Smoky Coal See, Ban Coming in from September
8: September the 1st September And if you put, it, uh, put on the order call, we find 250 and I don't think you can use briquettes or blocks either.
5: Ah, uh, okay. We need to do more. Okay, and and your point is you've you've got a. You we all, all my friends, all my friends are so You already have bunkers full of all, coal. We have,
8: oh, coal. We all have coal, We all have bunkers are full, like. Okay, I, would I be right in thinking and that smoke is cold, and they said it burns out the grate very fast? So nearly every two or three weeks you have to buy new no grate again.
5: Even though they say it's better for everyone if we have this smoky. Coal ban in place because it's better for your health than everybody else's health. Yeah,
6: for God's sake, for shift, but most of my friends are over seven dead
5: Okay,
8: and all we have is our fire. I mean, I had mine like yesterday evening on Grand Fire
5: Yeah, as far as I know, though, but and I will get this checked. As far as I know, you can you can burn out what's left in the bunker, and I think it's that you're not going to be able to buy. Any smoky fuel from the first of September. I think oh, that's. That it, that, yeah, I think yeah. now I get that double checked, but I think that's going going to be a problem. And I know it's been very successful in Dublin, and they've had it in for years. But I don't know. Does it burn out quicker? You reckon it's it does great for
8: the stove? For they say the stove is alright, but it it won't, it won't heat the rods three liters. It won't heat them.
5: Is it more expensive or is it the same price?
8: What's oh, this? What it's dealer Right
5: there. Dealer All right, sir. Okay, all right. We'll see if we can find out more information about smoky coal versus non-smoky coal. Um, but but I, I I'm open to correction. But i and, and I will get a double check. But I'm sure it's in your bunker. You will be allowed. You will be allowed to use. And you can use blocks for a anything like that. I don't know. I I does that fall under the smoky coal? Oh, well, it does. It
8: does. Of course.
5: Of yeah. Course. OK. All right. Leave it with us and we'll get a check for you. All right, Patricia. Thanks, thanks very a much million. Bye bye. Make- 1850 at 333103. Just a quick look at some of your texts that have uh, come in to us, particularly on the COVID payments and people who decide to go away on holidays and they're going to lose their COVID payment. Hi, Patricia. Everyone is entitled to go on holidays, no matter what form of income they have. Though I do think during this pandemic, it's actually selfish of anyone to consider going on holidays and actually leaving the country. Those those that chose chose to do so cannot seriously expect to be paid for their two weeks self-inflicted isolation upon their return. Why should employers or taxpayers pay for the selfish wishes of those who choose to put themselves and others in the line of the virus? But yet, do feel everyone is entitled to a holiday. But it's rather selfish of you to think you can go out of the out of the country, says that texter. Covid payment recipients, says another texter, are also those who have COVID-19 and have had to stop working. Of course, they shouldn't be travelling. I was listening to a guy on national radio yesterday who was whining that he can't go away for a few days' holidays. He wants to go away abroad. He felt he was being discriminated against. After a long time on the programme it emerged, he had a heart condition and he suffers from asthma. Is he mad to even consider leaving the country? The country is turning into a very entitled nation, says this texter. And actually, somebody yesterday said we need to stop the entitled nature uh, that we have and uh, someone else says, Patricia, that musician I mentioned a musician who who was talking
2: uh, yesterday who had his
5: COVID payment stopped because he left uh, the country um, and I thought he was asked for his PPS number in Dublin Airport but this listener said no, that, that wasn't the case. He was just asked for his ID so he produced his passport only uh, but it was when his money didn't go into his account when he returned home they were able to tell him the exact flight number that he got out of Dublin Airport the t- exact time and the date. If of course the they, they didn't know his return date. He had been back after a few days and he's had to fight to get his money back and they were wrong to have taken all of his payment from him. But sorry, my, my mistake. I thought he'd been stopped by a social welfare officer and handed over his PP, PPS number, but it wasn't. It was done in his passport. But Dublin Airport are adamant that they are not passing on any information at all. And on schools opening, Patricia, delighted to see the schools and the creches open. The sad thing about it is, they sh- this is what this listener feels, they shouldn't have closed a- at all. And the locking up of the over-70s, that was another boo-boo. Uh, if they isolated people who just traveled in from the covert hot spots, that would have solved uh, the problem uh, the government since the government have formed things to have have settled down uh, is it my suspicious mind i 'm wondering are, are we doing better under the new uh, government and Hi, Patricia, message for all the bingo lovers out there, the drive in bingo, the Theo park, and is happening this Thursday night eight o 'clock sharp. The organisers, Theo Parker, saying, "If you're going along, please
4: wear a mask." You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
0: Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103.
5: Now, people who are planning their holidays here in Ireland are being warned about the increased risk of being targeted by fraudsters, exploiting the current travel restrictions as more people than ever are opting for a staycation. Joining me with advice, Kieran Groth of the Head of Financial Crime and Security at the Banking and Payments Federation of uh, Ireland. Uh, good morning, to you, Keith. Morning. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Keith, uh, uh, what type of scams are you most worried about?
4: Well, I'm, I'm worried about the most uh, the bogus websites and copycat websites and also um, uh, too-good-to-be-true uh, offers via social media. Um, we all need to take social media uh, platforms uh, with a pinch of salt and there is a lot of adverts that are purporting to be uh, uh, super deals, exceptional offers. And um, invariably, they turn, turn out to be true. They turn out to be bogus. They turn out to uh, bringing um, customers to fraudulent websites where people click on links and, and embedded links. And then uh, they, I suppose, impart with their uh, banking credentials and their um, and PIN and security numbers. So um, it's very, very important that they be watchful and mindful that there is, um, I suppose, bogus websites out there.
5: So you think you've booked a hotel on a genuine website, perhaps even you think you're on the hotel's website, and then you turn up for your holiday to discover your money's gone and your booking wasn't there at all?
4: But that could invariably turn out. We've seen it in holiday purchase scams abroad, and, you know, the, the criminals and the scammers will pivot and they will look towards uh, capitalising on this opportunity. So, I mean, my advice would be thoroughly research the, any online offer, and type in the URL of the original um, Genuine Hotel into your web browser, go outside of the original email or social media ad, and, um, you know, as I said, thoroughly research and input the URL and check out for any uh, misspellings in the domain name as well. I mean, if it's .ie, uh, .uk, uh, good chance it's, it's secure, but then if you see .ru, um, that will send an alarm bell.
5: And alarm bells should ring if the deal is too good to be true. It probably isn't true.
4: Exactly. I mean, if the price of the holiday is considerably cheaper than the average cost elsewhere, you should be suspicious. Um, you see the ads on social media offering um, iPhones and, and other devices and such like, um, you know, that never transpires to be the case, even for, um, you know, such, um, you know, medicines, etc. It's, it's not the case. And people should be just wary of that and be mindful of that social media as um, a, a mass majority of them can be fake.
5: And what is the safest way, uh, Keith, to pay for your holiday? Is is it a credit card? Uh,
4: a credit card is also a good option. And also, uh, genuine merchants will have a, a, a merchant port- portal. So genuine, genuine sellers will have a merchant portal. That's something to look out for. Um, you know, in terms of a private vendor or a private seller, you should do an extra bit of homework there and maybe... Uh, call them directly and uh, also uh, ask them for maybe um, uh, reference if somebody has stayed there that could, you know, double check with them. And also independently verify the property does exist on Google Maps and Street View. I think that's the most uh, prudent way to approach it.
5: OK, all right. And uh, Keith, are, are you seeing an increase in online scams during this global pandemic?
4: Um, it's uh, it There is, invariably, some of them have been reported in the media in terms of PPE scams, in terms of bogus companies uh, again the websites are very very sophisticated but people get um you know get sucked into a a good offer and they um also uh, part with their um banking credentials and, uh, in, and and personal information where therein lies the problem but just in terms of social media we've got to be very uh careful on what we um what we post on social media as well but there has been an, an uptick in, in scams particularly around the ppe and also I'd ask your customers, uh, or your clients and, and um, listeners. listeners, exactly, <laughs> if I word. Uh, I'm still on the customers and clients uh, for the bank. Just be careful of those um, uh, cryptocurrency um, um, uh, offers as well and um, exchanges and invest in Bitcoin and, and, and you know those that purport to be uh, endorsed by celebrities. They are invariably scams and you have to be very, very careful. So do not invest in un- unregulated entities that are offering investment.
5: And the revenue tax refund scam, we a lot of our listeners have contacted us about that one, you know, saying revenue was on with the refund. Um, they, they're back doing the rounds again.
4: They are. It's very cyclical, Patricia. It happens when people are, during the COVID period and also during tax rebate period and, you know, October, um, Ross Online of, um a um, time period where you have to make your returns. So, Yes, I would contact the revenue independently. Always go outside of the message. If you're not due a refund, um, you know, double check with the revenue. And also revenue have uh, some wonderful advice online and you should check that out online as well on their site. Okay. And also we have some excellent stuff on our, our, our material in terms of advisory and uh, tips to check and watch out for on a fraud. That
5: I... Okay, we well, just be very be very careful. Everybody needs to look after their hard-earned cash. Keith, we leave Absolute. you there. Thank,
4: Thank you, for you for that. Thanks for done.
5: joining us. Uh, bye, bye bye. That is uh, uh, Keith Gross, head of financial crime and security at the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland. If you're going on holidays, please, please be careful of what you're actually booking. We want to make sure that you get there uh, safely. And actually, somebody, Sandy, is agreeing with uh, Mary was on from Charleville, who likes to eat her dinner in the middle of the day. And there are a number of people who like to have their main meal in the Middle of the day, and they just want a lighter snack, a kind of tea time or supper, some people call it. And some people are having a problem now when they're staying in hotels, when they're going away for a few days and discovering, because of the rules and regulations, you have to have a meal if you want to go to the bar and have a few drinks so you want to go to the dining room and that some of the restaurants, including in the hotels, they're not serving lighter bites in the evening time, which is, which is disappointing. Uh, Sandy said that lady, Mary, was it Mary from Charleville, spelt out our problem exactly when we're on holidays. As well, the evening meal can be more expensive and as it, it's too big being nearer to bedtime to have a large meal like that, there are a certain percentage of people who like to have their meal in the middle of the day and then they're getting caught with this larger meal at uh, night. I wonder, are, are, are others uh, agreeing with that? Somebody who had a bit of a bad time at a hotel in Dublin, where has that one gone? This is on WhatsApp. Uh, app. Over the weekend, I stayed in uh, one of the larger hotels in Dublin. Uh, that We were charged €320 for a two-night stay. Now, I don't quite understand what this was. A doggy bag was left outside the bedroom door. I, I don't know what was in the doggy bag. Uh, Saturday night at the bar in the hotel. After an hour, we were told to go. That was it. Our time was uh, up even though we were guests at the hotel we thought that we could stay on but we were given and that's how individual hotels are operating at uh, different so I suppose you need to check that and you need to to see where you're staying you need to check that certainly in advance we were talking about adult uh, day uh, adults with disabilities and the need for their day services Chris O'Donovan in for Moy says Patricia I have adult I I have made friends over the years with adults from the adult daycare services. They've enjoyed the fishing from our wheelie boat in Femoy and now, coupled with low water levels due to the ongoing issue with the weir in Femoy and the COVID situation, the service we provide it is at a standstill. We need the adult services to the disability sector to reopen and reopen soon we also by the way uh, says Chris we need the we are rebuilt God that we are issue has been going on for quite some time 1850 333103 and thank you to the listener who had the issue with the big hotel in Dublin the doggy bag was breakfast that's how they were serving breakfast in that particular hotel because some hotels are doing that they're not allowing people to go down to the dining room Breakfast is being delivered to their room, Lister says. <laughs> it came in a doggy rag <laughs> So it was just, it wasn't like on the, as you know, if you paid extra to have your breakfast delivered to your room as you can do in hotels maybe maybe they're not doing that now with COVID-19 and it would be wheeled in you know a waiter or a waitress would bring it in on a trolley and it would be all lovely and they'd take off the gosh isn't it it's called move your cooked breakfast but instead of that it was a doggy bag with the, the breakfast whatever they had for breakfast inside it. can anybody tell us thank you for that can anybody tell us the INEC in Killarney does anybody know when it's going to reopen a listener by text says I've tried ringing them I've checked on the website and I really can't find out I really would appreciate if any of your listeners know the INEC in Killarney does anybody know when that is due to reopen and Jay says Patricia just to let you and your listeners know I got a text this morning to say my AIB card has been deactivated guess what says Jay I don't have an AIB account Court today on Scene 103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850
0: 333 103
5: now, a letter written in late 1846, which had a profound effect on the outcome of the Great Famine, has now been returned to Skibbereen, which, of course, was the epicentre of the famine. Uh, it's thanks to the family of the late Hollywood actress Rita Haywood. Joining me with all of the details is Terry Kearney of the Skibbereen uh, Heritage Centre. Good morning to you, Terry.
8: Good morning, Patricia.
5: Terry, you're very welcome. Do you know something? There's a movie in this because you've got the Hollywood actress, you've got a fantastic story and you even have a princess uh, to tell us about. Let's start back, though, with the letter. It was written by Nicholas Cummins, who was a Cork-based justice of the peace. Can you outline what the letter entailed? Sure.
8: Um, Well, Nicholas Cummins, um, he, he cared a lot for the poor. He was a member of the Poor Law the Relief um, Committee in Cork City, and he had been reading about conditions down in Skibbereen. So he came down to witness it with with his own eyes, as he said himself. And it was quite risky, you know, because disease was widespread at that time. And he came down and he was brought around by Dr. Dan Donovan and Dr. Haddon. And he described what he saw, really, really graphic descriptions of what he saw, you know, bodies being torn apart by rats and a woman burying a child with stones... You know, just pummeling stones on top of her twelve-year-old child, and so on. Um, and he was a clever man because he he used the power of the media. He wrote this as an open letter and he sent it to various newspapers and he addressed it to the Duke of Wellington, so it became very public.
5: Yeah, and it ended up it it it, it did end up get getting published in a lot of papers.
8: It did. It was published first in the in the Southern Reporter and the Cork Examiner. And then the most important one that it was published in was, was The Times of London on Christmas Eve. So, of course, the timing was important as well. Okay. And it went viral in today's terms. It went all across North America, all across Britain, Canada. And it was quoted very often, you know, when they were um, trying to raise money for the famine, Cummins' letter was repeatedly quoted um, for uh, in, as fundraising. And just a few weeks after that letter was published on Christmas Eve in London, the British Relief Association was set up in London and Cummins' nephew served as secretary on that committee and Cummins announced, you know, in in a letter to to the newspapers about the establishment of this committee so you could say it was the catalyst for the establishment of the British Relief Committee and that brought £400,000 worth of aid into Ireland, over £40 million in today's terms and €40 million euro in today's terms. So it's a really important letter. Yeah, so
5: because he decided to write that letter and then subsequently get it published, as you say, picked up by, by so many, there was, uh, he, a lot of his eyes were saved because of that Absolutely. of that one letter. Yeah.
8: Absolutely. And what it did is it established... Skipperine as the place to come and see how bad things were. So he was the start of many other witnesses. So there was international coverage because of these people coming to Skipperine and it all started with his letter. So it's a really important. It is the most often quoted letter of the Great Famine. the oh. most important letter.
5: OK, and now there's history to the letter itself. The original letter you have, how did that end up in America?
8: It's a great story, yeah. Um, So, first of all, it was held by Cork Public Museum because a man called Vinton Hayworth wrote to the mayor of Cork City in 1963 and he said his grandfather, Patrick Aloysius O'Hare, had brought this to America with him and the family had kept it as precious possession and he wanted to send it back to Cork because it was pleased Grandpa. So, when we researched it, Patrick Aloysius O'Hare actually went to America with his mother. He was only 11. It was just after the famine. And the family story is the father was arrested for some crime or he disappeared and they decided to escape to America. Now, how they got the copy of the letter... We don't know. Yeah. But we're, we'll hopefully find that out too. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's another mystery.
5: So, and then... The, so what's the link to Rita Hayworth, the Hollywood actress?
8: So, Vincent Hayworth is... Um, Patrick Aloysius O'Hare's grandson and Vinton Hayworth is a movie star in his own right he, he acted in over 90 movies um, I'm not sure you would remember it but certainly I do, it's my era he was in I Dream of Genie" and lots of other um, TV series as well he is Rita Hayworth's uncle and he's also the uncle of Ginger Rogers Okay.
5: all right. Yeah. So he's famous in his own right. So then, so you managed, this is where the princess comes into the story. You managed to track down Rita Haywood's daughter, who happens to be a princess.
8: But I suppose, first of all, this letter sat in Cork since 1963, and nobody knew if it was an original or not. Okay. So what my first... mission was to establish that this was an original copy of the letter because it was believed not to be and I'll save you the details but after a lot of investigation I went through Northern Ireland and Britain and I found a descendant of Nicholas Cummins also a Nicholas Cummins who had some of Nicholas Cummins papers and I sent him a copy of it and he it it matched so it's either Nicholas Cummins own hand or that of his clerk
0: so it's really
8: the copy of the letter so that was the most important thing and then I was very excited. I was dying to tell the family of Patrick Aloysius O'Hare that this was a real copy. Vinton Hayworth, unfortunately, was dead, but I found out that Rita Hayworth's daughter, Princess Yasmin Aga Khan, so she's the half sister of the Aga Khan, you know. As the,
5: in the famous Aga Khan of the horse, the horse it, the Aga Khan. He's,
8: yeah. He's also the head of the Ismaili nation. Yeah. Um, So she is his half-sister, and Rita Hayworth was her mother, and obviously she's alive. So I sort of sat down and said, well, sure, how do you get in contact with a princess? So I emailed here and emailed there, and uh, eventually, anyway, it's a long story, this man sent me a message and said, look, um, a miracle has occurred that you've managed to get in touch with me because she's a very private person, and I know of her. I know her, and I can introduce you, but if you ring me in Chicago on my cell phone at whatever time, I'll hear you out. And I went, okay, so. So I rang him and told him the whole story, and then he got fierce excited. So he put us in contact, and she's really, really excited about the whole thing. Um... And, you know, addressing the letters now, dearest to Terry and fondly, Yasmin. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> I'm still calling her princess, though. <laughs>
5: how, how sweet. Do you think she might make it to Skipperine?
8: She really wants to. Oh. Yeah, She said she would love, she had no idea of any of this and um, very excited to see the letter and very excited to make a connection back to Cork because we know Patrick Aloysius O'Hare was from Cork. But a lot of the archives in the US are closed at the moment So hopefully, when we get his marriage certificate to his wife, who was from Tipperary, we might be able to narrow down where he was from in Cork. So I promised the princess, when things are a little bit more normal in the US, that we'll follow that up. And uh, she said she would love to visit.
5: Oh, that that'll be terrific. So you now have your, uh, I was going to say grubby posts, but they're not (laughs) grubby because (laughs) I saw the photograph. You're even wearing the lovely white... Gloves, because oh this is a very old piece, uh, um, a bit back as we said from 1846 uh, so y- you have the letter and it goes on display in the Skibbereen Heritage Centre, did I read for a year, is it?
8: Maybe a little bit more. Could you just I'm keep hoping. it?
5: <laughs> we won't well, tell you know, anyone.
8: <laughs> in fairness, Cork, um, the Cork City Cork Public Museum has been more than generous letting us borrow this and in view of what we found out, and the whole background to it, I think they might let us have it for another little while. But um, you say there about, I put it in the case yesterday, it went on display yesterday, and they were all laughing at me because my hands were shaking so much when I was taking it out with my white gloves and very carefully putting it in the case. You know, it's been a special case. Humidity controlled and temperature controlled and light controlled. But for one brief moment with my gloves on, I was holding the original copy of the letter, which...
5: Something special about that, oh, isn't there?
8: Time travelling at its best. Yeah. You know, it really is. Yeah, I've grew simple now even thinking about it.
5: And um, what's what's so important that it's on display this year, Skibberine Heritage Centre, tr- the 20th anniversary.
8: Yes, and we had a whole series of things organised and planned, Patricia. But, of course, this year, all of those are have gone down the swanny, but hopefully next year. So, yes, this is our 20th Actually, last week um, we opened 20 years ago last week, so we've had a a long and happy time in Skipperine Heritage Centre. And I'm here touching wood that we'll be there for another 20 years.
5: Yeah, and are you seeing many tourists around, Terry?
8: We are actually. we, we, when we opened, we open. this is our fourth week open now, and the first week we were going, oh, we won't have anybody. So we had all these other projects planned, we're digitising other things, and da-da-da, and next thing people started coming in. Now, we do have a limited number in the building at a time, but um, we're filling to capacity any kind of non-sunny day, we're filling to capacity, and people are really interested. And it's lovely, Patricia, because we get visitors from all over the world but we're getting a lot of Irish and, you know, the great old Irish saying those nearest the church are least holy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Irish people are discovering what's on their doorstep. And that's very exciting for us, too, you know, for for the visitor attractions and so on, because, you know, it's it, it, we should all know about these things and particularly the famine, because we are where we are because of it, you know.
5: And, you know, because of. Our lovely new saying, staycation, and because people have been told, look, don't go overseas; not safe. If you have your holiday this year, but but have it in Ireland, I I think this is going to be a huge benefit to places like your goodself at the Skibbereen Heritage Centre and other lovely areas around the country. People are discovering parts of Ireland that they never even realised was there, or in some cases, even on your own doorstep.
8: Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, you know. Have, you know you know why West people come to Cork in all fairness. We yeah. have everything here. It's just stunning, you know. Even if you're from here and you're living here and you go around sometimes you go, Oh my god, am I dreaming? Is this real? Yeah. You know, it's it's we have everything here. We really do. And I think this is an opportunity for Irish people to learn really what as you said, what's on their doorstep. So um hopefully it'll it'll, it'll encourage a few more staycations in the future because we all have love well, I certainly have lovely memories of being a small kid. And being taken out to Barley Cove to the swimming pool, you know, and every time I go out to Barley Cove, I still get that same excitement of summer holidays and going to the swimming pool, you know. So when you make a bond with a place, when you're brought there as a child for summer holidays, you have a bond with that place forever, you know. So hopefully there's a few future generations making bonds with West Cork and other areas. Absolutely.
5: Absolutely. So you're open for business uh, if people want to go along and it, it is on display it sure is
8: and we'd be delighted to see people
5: Okay, listen, look after yourself Uh, Terry, always a pleasure to talk to you, thank you for that Thanks
8: so much. And thanks for
5: joining us Uh, Bye bye, Terry Carney there of the Skibbereen Heritage Centre with that letter written in the late 1846 Uh, It's an amazing piece if you're around the Skibbereen Heritage Centre, certainly worth a visit. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls 1850 333 103 Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103
0: Work today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork
5: some of your calls coming in. Oh, Clinical Civic Immunity uh, site has been on to say that they're going to be closed Monday to Friday for the first two weeks of August. So starting next week, the weeks beginning August 3rd and the following week, August 10th. The facility, though, will be open as normal on the two Saturdays. So Saturday, August 8th and Saturday, August 15th. But they'll be closed Monday to Friday for the first two weeks in August but if you need to drop items to the civic community site in Clonakilty then please go on either of the Saturdays. I imagine it's going to make the Saturdays quite busy. Saturday the 8th and Saturday the 15th. Cork County Council were on us if we'd give it a mention and they apologise for any inconvenience caused. Tom was on when he listened to us about the roadmap for the schools reopening and the amount of money that's going to be spent. £375 million euro is going to be spent to reopen our schools. He is kind of scratching his head. He says, and I quote it's his own words, it's stupid. They should just let the children go back to school uh, like they did when the schools closed in uh, March. Yeah, but we know a lot more about a pandemic since then and I can't see that happening, Tom. It will be, I think, until we have a vaccine it'll be a long time before children are in school as they had been before it closed uh, in March. On face masks, Gat says, strange, called into a shop at the weekend and I was surprised to see very few wearing face masks compared to during the week. Could it be that people who have been at work during the week were now shopping at the weekend? Could they have been tourists or worse still, Gat is wondering, could it be a bit of complacency? Can't figure out what the change uh, is, says uh, Gat. And we're getting in calls and have been getting in calls from people, some saying supermarkets seem to have got their act together and people shopping in supermarkets have got their act together. Everybody seems to be wearing a mask in the larger supermarkets. But it does seem to be the smaller shops. And I don't know what type of a shop Gat was talking about, but it does seem to be the smaller shops that people are just not in the habit yet of putting a mask on. And we need to put masks on when we go to any sort of a retail outlet. We got on to the Department of the Taoiseach. I just checked with John Paul to see if we get a response because I'm trying to find out when does it become mandatory in the case of we all know we should wear the masks. We all know the science behind it. We're all told we need to wear the masks. But They have to put legislation in place like they did to make the masks mandatory on public transport. They had to put some legislation in place. And actually, it took the legislation, it took the threat of people being fined on public transport before we got 100% of people wearing the masks on the buses, on the trains, on uh, Lewis, etc. And I think it unfortunately is going to be the same for the shops until you're under threat of knowing you could have a tap on your shoulder and you could be fined. We don't know what the fines are going to be. I think at that point we'll have everybody wearing masks up to them people are kind of doing it it seems to be a bit hit and miss even though I don't know if it's complacency Gat because I think we're getting better at it I, I certainly personally speaking know I'm getting better at it I'm suddenly now remembering I mean I always have a mask with me in the car there has been a few times over the last few days where I've left the car and had to go back to the car to get the mask out but if you if you always leave a mask in the car at least you know you will always have one with you but i i so i don't know if it's complacency i think people are st- are just waiting they're waiting until they know for sure that they're going to be fined i think once once you start fining people i think then you are going to see a lot of people you'll see of course you're going to see much more people then at uh, wearing their masks okay mary joins me she's an issue with a Ryanair uh, voucher let's see if we can sort this out uh, good afternoon mary Hi, good afternoon. Uh, um, you got uh, a voucher from Ryanair. Was this for a cancelled flight?
3: I was to flight to Lanzarote on the 24th of March okay. for a week. And um, it was cancelled. And I got a voucher on the 20th of April. So between the 20th of April and the 29th of April, I, I really tried to book another flight for November. Okay. And when I put it in, it, nothing... And put it in my card as well, because there was a bit of a balance in it. And it it wouldn't accept it. So we took it, We we tried it again... And it came up, this voucher number has been used into another valid num- voucher number, which to me, I don't know why. But I, I emailed them on the 2019, and it said, please click on the link to accept the voucher, which we did. And it was still coming up as this voucher number has been used into another voucher number. So I've emailed them on the 25th of May, the 8th of June, July, June the 15th, July the 19th, the 21st, the 27th and the 28th.
5: <laughs> <laughs> and you've had to reply to every one of those emails. Oh, God, Jack, yeah, <laughs> You must be
3: joking. <laughs> um, not one word. And I sent in a registered letter on the 23rd of June, which no reply back to that either. And each, on each email I have said, I am not giving up. <laughs> I'm going to keep fighting this because I'm not going to be. I don't see why I should. Absolutely not. Do you mind telling us how much is the vote you're worth? It was, well, to me, it was it was a good bit, well, 177 euros. That's a lot of oh, money. sorry, 100, 179 euros, 77 cents. That's a lot of money.
5: That's a lot of money. And it's your and money. I,
3: yeah. I have been on to my uh, travel insurance, uh, Aviva, and they've told me once Once I accepted the voucher, it has nothing to do with them. It's only between me and Ryanair. And the Bank of Ireland, I was in with them this morning, and they have told me the very same thing.
5: Yeah, I know that at the time when there was the debate about should you take a refund or should you take a voucher and a lot of people went for the vouchers because they knew they were going to be travelling again and as well, people knew that if they went for a refund of money they'd be waiting a long time for it anyway. They might as well take the the voucher. I
3: travel twice a year like in in, in March and November like I go away for a week. And you want to go back to Lanzarote,
5: is it in November? Yeah, that's where I've been
3: going with the last five or six years like. Okay. And you think...
5: She, and you are you confident about travelling in November? Oh no, I'm not going to go until March next year. Oh, I sorry, oh, geez. sorry, no, no I'm, I'm not sorry. Going now. I got that wrong. I thought you. Oh yeah, okay. So it's sorry. it's no. it's for next year. It's for next year. Yeah, for next March. All right, and the fare had gone up. Of course, it will go up. Yeah. But like now, after the way I've been
3: treated by Ryanair, I am going to be very slow in going to travel with them again. Yeah.
5: So well,
3: like, I'm I might like, I may not even go and.
5: I know, I know. I it's,
3: can't see anything coming out of this at the moment.
5: There's some very angry people waiting on refunds and waiting on vouchers and yeah. vouchers not working properly and they, yeah. re, they need to be, to look after customers, they need yeah. to be bringing their, their A game for sure. Okay, we're on to Ryanair. We've con- we're have we trying to contact them on your yes. behalf.
3: I also phoned CCPC.
5: Yeah.
3: And they told me the very same once I accepted the my voucher. voucher yeah. And I was on to flight right as well.
5: Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just doing my tethers with this. I know. OK, hang in there. We'll see what we get back from the Mary, OK? Look after yeah. yourself. OK, take Thank care. Thank you very much. Uh, bye Thank bye Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. I don't know if has that happened to many others. A voucher from Ryanair that you're trying to reuse it and the voucher is coming up as uh, invalid. That's very, very uh, frustrating. And yes, I did get my money back from Aer Lingus. I waited oh, over four months, but I know... Sadie is waiting on a refund from Ryanair and I heard her yeah I heard her giving out stink she hasn't got her voucher back and we were due to travel at the same time so I've had mine back before her Uh, but she's still waiting on hers and it's, it's, it's frustrating it's frustrating but then to have that's even more frustrating to have gone for the voucher which is showing trust in the company to say look you know, you're under pressure, I won't take the money, I'll book with you another flight and then for that to happen is a bit galling. Let's see what we get back from at Ryanair. Uh, Leo in Douglas has been on to say, how much are prescription charges at the moment? I was told the government had brought them down uh, to one euro. OK, the prescription charges last got mentioned in the October budget and I remember there was great fanfare because there was an announcement that the prescription charges were going to come down for everyone and then of course when we looked into it after the budget announcement we were told it's not going to happen until July 2020 and it seemed like ages away little did we know we'd be in the middle of a pandemic when we spoke about it last October and people gave out saying it's always the same with the budget anything that they're giving back to you or any increase they're going to give to you you'll wait months and months and months whereas when they want to put up something in the Budget like the price of the packet of fags, or if they want to put up some money on the beer, if not, they haven't done that in a while, or if they want to put taxes on the petrol, it'll go up from midnight. And it always galls people, it always really, really annoys people. Anyway, it was from the 1st of July. Prescription charges okay, for medical cardholders, the charge is 150 per item going down from two euro, the maximum is staying the same, which is uh, 20 euro per month per person or per family. And then for those over 70, I don't know what age, Leo from Douglas who contacted us. For those over 70, the prescription charge from now, from the 1st of July, has gone down to one euro per item. For over 70s, it had been 150 and the maximum fee for a person or a family in the over 70s group uh, remains at, at 15. Non-medical card holders who pay the full cost of prescription, but their scheme... Uh, the drugs payment scheme is €124 per month per family. Uh, the monthly maximum will be, be reduced to 114 but you're going to have to wait f- until September 2020 for the drugs payment scheme. So the medical card prescription charge has come down on the 1st of July. For those on the drugs payment scheme, you will have to pay a 10 or less, but that's not until. September, OK, but uh, yes, it's from the 1st of July. Those prescription charges have come down. But for Leo, if you're over 70, as I say, I don't know what age you are. It is a euro for everybody else. It comes down to 150. What else are we getting in to us? Somebody was looking for... Uh, Anne was saying, Patricia, where, 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 where is the place that's playing bingo, and what time on Thursday? Seeing as we can't go dancing, it'll be another way of getting getting out. Well, the the last bingo that I mentioned which I mentioned this morning. It was the gang at Theo Park in Labamalaga. They're doing a drive-in bingo on Thursday night next and it's an 8 o'clock start and you're please asked to wear a mask. I don't know if everybody going to drive in bingo has to wear a mask but at Theo Park in Labamalaga, they're asking people to please wear a mask but it's 8 o'clock and it is happening in Theo Park on this Thursday. Hi Patricia, I know of a number of people on the COVID you who had the COVID 350 euro payment and then a few weeks ago it dropped back to 203. That was when they decided to balance it out for people who were part-time working and people who earned below a certain amount they would have it reduced to 203 which is the standard amount for job seekers allowance and benefit. Well, this is from Ger in a Bantry. The The people that I know, says Ger in Bantry, sent a letter immediately as requested to show that they were earning more than that when they went out on the COVID-19 payment but they've heard nothing since when they, some kind to contacted the department. They were told they're working on it, but there's no way that they can speak with them. They are simply too busy. They're working flat out. Can you shed any light on this? Thanking you, says Gerard from Banshee. Well, they are working flat out. They are extremely uh, busy. Uh, all I will say is who, to, the, to your friends who think that they've been hard done by or that it's the decision, the, the decision was wrong, uh, tell them to, ha- to, to hang in there. There is an appeals process. They can go down the appeals process route, but it is taking longer than normal I know we've had a couple of people who've contacted us who felt they were due a payment and when we looked into it they were due the payment and we had encouraged them to go down the appeal route and normally the appeals happen in normal times quite quickly but the appeals are taking longer so if they are entitled to that payment jur, it will get backdated I know that's no good to them now when they're probably desperately looking for the money now but tell them to ha- to hang in there but the appeals process absolutely is taking longer than it normally takes 1850 and for people who are giving out about hotels and some people are giving out about hotels and the fact we had the listener who went away was it in Dublin and instead of breakfast you know down in the dining room having a nice leisurely breakfast she tells us they got a doggy bag delivered to their door and really wasn't happy with it well a chef who's working in Cork City says people don't realise the pressure uh, that staff working in hotels are under, particularly at the moment, they're working long hours. In many cases, they're underpaid. There's also, uh, and I don't know why this is, less staff working. There. And then they always live with the frontline staff, live with the dangers of contracting COVID-19, trying to police COVID uh, restrictions. Uh, very, very uh, difficult. And that's from a chef in Cork City to say, please have some sympathy and think about the staff and the way that the staff are working. 1850-333-103. And on the people on the COVID payments who've been told they can't go out of the country, uh, a listener says, I am on... Um, Eileen. Hi, Eileen. Eileen says, I'm on Job Seekers Allowance before the COVID payment. Then I went on a pandemic payment, but now I'm back on the Job Seekers Allowance. When you're on Job Seekers, I think you can take two weeks holidays, says Eileen. And I was thinking, yeah, I remember that. I remember doing something on that uh, uh, before. So I said i double check before I would give out the information. And there has been a slight change. If you are, g- now we know, because we have been discussing it, COVID-19 pandemic unemployment uh, pay- payment is not payable for any period you spend outside of Ireland. So anybody going out of the country, if you go outside of Ireland, you then have to reapply for the PUP, as it's called, when you return and you won't be paid for the 14 days that you're required to self-isolate when you return from abroad. If you are getting a job seeker's benefit and job seeker's allowance or the job seeker's benefit that's paid to the unemployed, you can go on holidays on the island of Ireland for a maximum of two weeks and you get your two weeks payment on your return. Since the 7th of July, you will only be paid for a holiday abroad that's in accordance with the general COVID-19 travel advisory in operation and you will not be paid for the 14 days you're required to self isolate when you return so that is certainly uh, a change so if you are on job seekers and our job seekers allowance before you certainly were able to go away and what you need to do if you want to take a holiday on job seekers benefit or uh, allowance you need to go into your local uh, intro centre or your social welfare branch before taking the holiday and telling them that you are taking the Holiday. But the change there is uh, it means you will not be paid for holidays abroad while the government advise that you should not make non essential travel outside of uh, Ireland. It does not apply, by the way, to holidays in uh, Northern Ireland. But that certainly is a change. That is a change because up to this, before. Covid ever happened? People on job seekers' allowance and benefit were allowed to go away on holidays. They didn't get paid while they were away, but when they came home, they got their two weeks. Because I know people used to complain about it, saying why couldn't they give them the two weeks in advance because it could have been used as part of their spending money when they were away. Uh, but social welfare office always said no. You got your payment when you when you came back. So there's a change there. You can still go on holidays, but you will have to holiday. On the island of uh, Ireland. Uh, 1850 333 A listener says I paid two euro yesterday for my prescription uh, charges per item. OK. We need to check that with a pharmacist um, because certainly it got announced. It got announced in the budget. The budget for 2020, which happened last October, said that from July... Now the date in July was to be confirmed. I'm wondering have they done it from the end of July? No, I was sure it was the first of July. Anyway, we'll get that double doubly checked that it was to go down in price from 2 euro down to 150. Let us check it. Anybody else had their prescription filled? Over 70s should have gone down from 1 euro fifty per item to 1 euro. And for people on a medical card who had been paying 2 euro, it should go down to 150. We'll double check it, but a listener. Who got a prescription filled in Charleville said she paid €2 Euro yesterday. And according to my calculation, I thought those, that, change, that change came in from the 1st of uh, July. Wait, no, they'll tell us it comes in at the end of July instead. Anyway, let us with this. Let it with us. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103
0: 103. The C103 Cork Diary.
4: With Cork
2: County Council,
3: supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie.
5: And soon as I mentioned, the Drive-in bingo in Theo Park in Labamalaga on Thursday night. There's a couple of other bingos, uh, drive-in bingos mentioned on our community diary which are proving to be quite popular. Uh, Castle Town Bear Development Association, they've got a drive-in bingo Friday evening. It's at the pier in Castle Town Half-eight start, over €600 euro in prizes to be given away and a chance to win €1,700 in the jackpot and that will be in 52 calls. That's been organised by the Castle Town Development Association. And there's car bingo in the Tim League sports field in Ladies Well. That's next Sunday, which is the 2nd of August, and that's got a six o'clock uh, start. And staying with Castelon Bear Development Association, they're holding a country market on this Saturday, the 1st of August. It'll be in the grounds of St Peter's from 11am to 2pm, weather permitting. There will be a selection of stalls selling local produce, arts and crafts on the day. And the Jack and Jill Children's Foundation are appealing for donations to enable them to continue with their support for families. Please donate €4 by texting the words, "We Care." To 50300. If you'd like to donate more, you can go onto their website, jackandjill.ie. And remember, for every €16 donated, it provides a family with one hour of home nursing support from the Jack and
4: Jill team. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed
0: core today on C103 text or whatsapp patricia with your comment 086-2103-103.
5: and thank you to a huge number of uh, people who have contacted us about the prescription charges to say the prescription charge hasn't come down in price it is still 2 euro for the normal medical card uh, per item and for people over the age of 70 it is still 150 in the budget last year, it was announced that from July, it is going to be reduced for the over 70s. It's going to come down to €1 euro per item. And for people uh, under 70 who've got a medical card, it's going to come down to one euro fifty. The reason that people in this, the month of July, who should have been paying less, are getting their prescriptions filled and loads of people saying no, I paid €2. Euro. No, I'm paying what? I paid one euro fifty per item. They are waiting on Stephen Donnelly, the minister, to sign off on the legislation. Isn't that incredible? Hi, I I rang my chemist yesterday querying the prescription charge to be told uh, the government hasn't signed off on it uh, yet and loads of other people saying the exact same thing. Isn't that OK? So that's the reason. Now, they, they, they all are going into recess. Aren't they on Thursday? They're on their summer holidays for about uh, six weeks. Will that piece of legislation get changed by them? There's another question. We'll we'll try and find out. Uh, and hopefully it will, but that does seem pretty shameful. That is just a matter of the the minister. Is it just a matter of signing a piece of paper, I wonder? Uh, 1850 333 eighteen fifty three 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 one oh three bingo drive in bingo. Tom McCarthy's been on St. Patricia. The next drive in bingo in Araglin Community Field is next Sunday at three o'clock. Thanks for last week's coverage. Glad to give it a mention because people are just loving the drive in bingo really is getting people out and about, which is uh, terrific. Uh, Mary by text. Patricia, I'm trying to book a ticket to Dublin on the 5th of August, which is next week. I'm willing to go by train or by bus as I have to catch a flight to Glasgow. I was told I can't book a ticket on either transport by train or bus until the morning of the 5th. And by doing that, I may not even be guaranteed a seat. I think this is ridiculous as I could miss my flight. Now, again, we'll have to look into that. I haven't heard that before. Somebody trying to book on the train or on a bus To get to the, obviously to get to the airport, is it the, the, I saw the air coach is back up and running. okay if anybody can throw any light on that and I'll see if uh, Sadie and John Paul can look into that as to why, what's happening there and why does somebody have to book? And you can't book until the day you're travelling. Not making a lot of sense to me, uh, I have to say. Has anybody else managed to be able to book on a train are a bus, or did you have to wait until the actual day of travel? And Eileen is looking for advice. I was wondering if you could find out to, out for me, please. When when birds are nesting in an attic, when do they leave the nest? I actually think, says Eileen, it's unusual this time of year, as surely it's normally March through to June, and here we are at the end of July. Eileen's problem is they're making such a racket at night. I don't even know what kind of birds they are," <laughs> said Eileen. She wants them out. Okay. They've nested in her attic. Is that unusual to still have birds nesting at the end of July or are we still? Are birds, isn't it proving that birds are still very much nesting? Does anybody have any idea uh, when those birds will leave uh, and is it unusual that birds that would nest in an attic would still be there at the end of uh, July? Uh, 1850 333 today on C 103.
0: Call Patricia with your comment. Eighteen
5: fifty three 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 one zero three. And by the way, I've just spotted somebody has sent in, Sheila has sent in a question for Peter Dowdell, our resident uh, gardener, a day early. Peter's normally with us on a Wednesday. Just as so you know, Peter's not going to be with us uh, tomorrow. He's uh, on a little bit of a a staycation, Uh, so he won't be available to us tomorrow. But if you hold off, Sheila, and get that question back into us next week, I'm sure he'll be able to answer it for you. Joe Heffernan joins us on this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe.
9: Good
5: afternoon, Patricia. Um, And we're going to be talking about building blocks of uh, self-esteem and and how all of our self-esteem, I think, has been affected Mm. uh, during uh, COVID-19. But you want to share with listeners an issue you had with air and having to pay for your email, which I know is infuriating so many people, right. but uh, if you use your email a lot, which you do, it, trying to change over to one of the free services would be just so difficult.
9: Absolutely. So on the basis of that,
5: you yeah, decided bullet.
9: to stay. Yeah. No, I have been inundated with scams and um, supposed to be air. What I do is I just put the cursor on where it says air at the top, and of course it comes up with something like .de or .eu or whatever, and I know then that's a scam and I ignore it. But being a civic-minded uh, citizen,
5: yeah,
9: uh, I tried uh, to forward a few of those to air, um, you know, just yeah, to, let them know to let them know
5: yeah. that
9: this was happening, and of course I got no reply. But anyway. I paid my five ninety nine with my card. Yeah. And I expected, the same as one would, that you'd get something back saying, thank you, receive that. Um, in other words, a receipt.
5: Yeah.
9: I got nothing. And I sent um, one after the other, getting a little bit more agitated and uh, going to capital letters about... Um, and the heading would have been, what... Um, dissatisfied customer, or something like that. And, um, on and on and on and on, no reply whatsoever. Eventually, yesterday, I got a reply. And more or less it said, you will get no receipt. But, um, if you go into my account and all that, and my air, and all that kind of stuff, uh, you will see there in your accounts thing that, um, that uh, the, the, the five ninety nine will will uh, will appear be there.
5: there yeah, but yeah, you
9: know. I mean, um, sometimes I think I'm uh, um, super smart with passwords and all, and I think, oh, that's a clever one. I'll remember that, no, but you don't. I never do. I know, I, know, I forget I know. them all the time. Yeah. So whenever I see, like, go into my air or go into my this or my well, you're that, and
5: I don't have the password I for that, just yeah.
9: think, oh, for God's yeah. sake. You know. Um, oh, but it's
5: frustrating not to get a response to the email. It was you like... You know,
9: to I be we received. that. Yeah, it's
5: like Mary from Ryanair I mean all the emails that she sent as well. I mean, do they think we have nothing better to be doing than sitting there uh, yeah. sending emails in block capitals, meaning you're shouting at them? Yeah. Anyway, let's go to the building blocks of yeah. uh, of uh, self-esteem. Um, all of our self-esteem has been... Has been Given a bit of a bashing, hasn't it, with COVID-19? We're it kind of has. questioning everything.
9: Absolutely. And, um, you know, I suppose there's a feeling of helplessness because, well, what can you do? And the answer is you can be sensible and look after yourself. But as far as the whole scenario goes, well, we're we're waiting for the science to catch up. But uh, as we often spoke of before, Patricia, uh The uh, self-esteem is based on five building blocks, namely a sense of security, a sense of identity, a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, and a sense of competence. So we could have a quick look at each
7: one
9: and see how has the old COVID-19 whole scenario affected it. Now, definitely, um, I'm sure no one would disagree, our sense of security has definitely been negatively hit um, in so many ways. I mean, we have the virus itself, which is the big one. We have even our modes of travel are, you know, considered to be... Um,
5: unsafe.
9: Unsafe. You're on a
5: train or a bus and you're wearing a mask. Absolutely. Did we, did we ever think we'd see that? We're all. No one is getting on an aeroplane, or very few are.
9: Yes, and even a simple thing like going into the local supermarket to get a litre of milk uh, is... Um, you know now we everyone is masked um hopefully and um and of course, other people uh, I think I quoted to you to you one day there was a person chatting with me, and they said, "Well, you know each other person is a time bomb mm. and I thought it was a bit extreme, but you know there was some little grain of uh, truth uh, in it um
5: so our our sense of security definitely has taken yeah. a, a bashing, and then next is identity.
9: Identity, but with the with the security one, the positive would be: let's not let fear take over. You like that quotation I used last week: um, "Ships in the harbour are yeah. safe, but that's not what ships are built for." Yeah. So that, like, we need to use our common sense and not let the fear take over. That if we want to go for our litre of milk. That we'll take the precautions we need to, but we'll go and get our litre of milk. Yeah, our sense of identity definitely has been affected. I mean, our homes, our communities, our work—they've um, all been hit and hit very, very in a very big way. Um, but
5: but you say we've learned a lot about ourselves.
9: We have. Yeah. We've learned how resilient we are. Yeah. Um, Uh, We've learned uh, another thing that I often quoted to you there. Um, You know, we've learned how much we have, how little we need, and the value of human contact. That um, you know, we've come to realise that um, we don't maybe need all the bells and whistles of life. That um, that there are, I, I suppose, we're down to. Not quite survival mode, and in another way, yes, survival mode. But at the same time, common sense will, will look after us, you know?
5: Our sense of, of of belonging.
9: Our sense of belonging has been big time affected. Like we went there now for two and a half months where we didn't see any of our three sons who are in, in, in Cork. Um, Just
5: up the road Just up
9: the road uh, No big deal at all And they might
5: as well have been At the other side of the world Uh,
9: Which the Fort lad is As you know In the Cayman Islands So Yeah That was a huge disruption Um, Mary especially Loves to go to Cork A day and a week And have lunch With the lads And um, uh, That became Impossible Um, You know Uh, And then the the five kilometers went to the 20, and um, then that was lifted so at least we could go and see them. But there was a huge disruption to family life, without any doubt at all. Um, But then again, on the plus side, you know, neighbors, people at the front line um, showed wonderful, um, uh, again, caring and um we we began to value uh people um in a way that uh, maybe we hadn't thought of before. I I often said to you there that um you know uh, neighbors um around us um you know they knew that we were well into the seventies. Well um, I better be careful that I'm well into the seventies um not my uh, younger uh, partner beautiful wife yeah. <laughs> yeah i could be i could be i could be in trouble with that one, you, so could cooking, you could be cooking you could be cooking your own dinner yes, yeah
5: anyway neighbors and and stepped up yeah. to the mark and yeah. and wonderful acts of kindness
9: absolutely yeah. it was just unbelievable um you know phone calls um is there anything that you'd want today and uh you know, and uh, and it wasn't just talk. I mean, stuff was delivered almost, well, not almost, every single day that we were locked down. Um, people were wonderful to us. Great. And even the phone calls, like, how are you doing? Yeah.
5: So, so then our sense of purpose.
9: Yeah. This is yeah. one that
5: affected all of us as well. well your your yeah. plans went out the window.
9: Plans were wrecked out the window, um You know, for example, our son Joseph had a wonderful um, uh, honour in that he was invited to do a solo exhibition, um, a whole gallery to himself in the Royal Hibernian Academy in Dublin. Um, It was all wonderful. So we went up on Wednesday, the 11th of March, for the big opening, and it went extremely well. And the following morning, the gallery was closed down. Yeah you know, and yeah. he was to be there until well into um, uh, April, uh, he'd about six weeks, thank God it's opened again now, but for some days not for anything mm. like, so there you are, people musicians, artists, actors, uh, who had um, uh, who had shows coming up, you know um, we, we've we seen and heard quite a lot about that, that um, you know uh, there's there's nothing to be done. I know that a lot of people are doing stuff uh, online um, and that. But
5: but for the majority, their income has just disappeared.
9: Absolutely. Yeah. And people who would normally go on a holiday in yeah. the year. I mean, uh, if you go on a holiday now abroad, um, it's regarded as a, a very bad thing. I would agree with that. I mean, um, we wouldn't dream of doing that now. Um uh, and And risk um things to both ourselves and others um so um those kind of things are 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 gone, but then, as I say, we learn to look after ourselves, we learn to care for others, and we learn to adapt and to use our common sense, and you know that we learned how to live our lives even within the constraints that we that we have. Um, I think a lot of people will be uh, consulting with people in the uh, counselling line uh, now as we slowly, hopefully, emerge from this. And I would advise anyone doing that to look up IACP.ie and, um, you know, they'll find uh, um, a fully accredited counsellor very close to them geographically. Um because uh, this will have affected people quite negatively mm.
5: Mm. i think and i think people are, are already beginning to to see that and and to, but it's to realize it and to realize when you need to get help and that, that help is is available Absolute. and and our sense of competence our sense
9: of competence has been challenged yeah. i mean we've all felt helpless i think at times patricia and and we wondered like will it ever end will there ever be this great vaccine um You know, uh, every day, well, I mean, thankfully, it's wonderful that we hear about numbers coming down. It's wonderful that we hear about schools reopening. Um, But um, uh, there were times along the road when we kind of felt that, you know, that this was um, going to, uh, maybe, maybe get us down completely uh, in the lockdown. I mean, the people over seventy, um, you know, had a very tough time. Mm. But on the other hand, then we learned to cooperate. We learned resilience. We learned how to see this out, and we will see it out. Um, and you know, like when Obama was here in Ireland, and the the kind of catch fr- catch cry was, we can is failing. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's repeat it. It's failing, we yeah, can. Yeah,
5: it's, it's the thing I always say, you know, if I'm talking to somebody who's feeling down about it all and you can get down and think, is it ever going to end? You know, my mantra has, you know, this too will pass. This time will pass. Yeah. And, you know, we will look back and say, God, remember when we all lived through COVID-19, remember yeah. the pandemic and we will get to the other side of it. But it's, it's to get to the other side of it and it's to get to the other side of it's safely as possible, yes. and to bring as many people with us as possible. It's absolutely. A, it's not to forget those that are, that are being left behind.
9: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, there will be people who will be much harder hit by all this than others. For example, I mean, um, look, I don't want to be politician bashing, but I mean... Um, all the lads in politics and all that, the the, the TDs and all, um, are not going to be in any dire circumstances financially, whereas other people are. Um, the self-employed, especially, would be very hard hit. I mean, there would be people uh, who haven't a bob coming in and weren't even entitled to the 350 and had to settle for the two or three. And, you know, trying to live on that is not really... it's, it's, it's scraping it's it's watching every penny
5: yeah and small businesses really All trying to pick them that's why I'm always banging on about shopping local and supporting local yeah. you know there are a lot of small businesses and in the tourist areas down in West Cork when you think of you know that they have this small period of the summer months anyway to make their money for the rest of the year and you know that's why staycationing is so, is so important and just but to support your local corner shop your local business because some of them won't survive
9: indeed indeed I, I thought one of the strangest things during the um middle of the COVID thing there was where um bookshops were closed and and i, I kind of thought, look if ever we needed something to to read um uh, I didn't quite get that, but i mean i do um and uh i I would be um a customer of um local and um uh you know, bookshops uh, rather than the online, um, even though I've used that too. Yeah.
5: Um, I, well, I know some of the bookshops adapted and, and they went online as well, but yes. yeah, you're right. We needed books more than ever. Okay, we have to wrap it up there. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. Enjoy your bank holiday weekend. Sorry Absolutely. to believe another bank and holiday is upon us. We'll, we'll talk next Tuesday. Take care. Yeah. That is uh, Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohopway. 029 76617 is his uh, number. And that's where we wrap it up for today. My thanks to Sadie and to John Paul for taking your calls. And thanks. Studentness just sent in a text saying I have two swallows nesting at the gable end and it's late for them this year so some of the birds are
0: nesting late. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. A lot can happen in the next 3 years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times.